This is episode 20 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today, we are looking at articles that deal with how to raise meat rabbits in small spaces, hiding livestock from looters, and nine reasons why a garbage bag is the best emergency shelter. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get started, just a couple of different things uh, that I want to point out. Um, let me see here. Uh, I want to give a shout out to TruePrepper.com. Uh, he did a he did an article, the Ten Best Prepper podcast, and included me on there, or included the Prepper website podcast on there, uh, and that's just you know really nice, um, really nice to do uh, in the top five. I don't know if I really deserve that yet. Uh, I'm working really hard to to get it up there, but uh, does have he does have us on there with a lot of other great podcasts. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes of episode twenty. You can go check that out. I also want to announce, too, Daisy Luther over at the Organic Prepper always does a lot of great uh, great articles, but she's come out with a new book called The Prepper's Canning Guide. And in, in, this, in this book, um, it's, she's saying it's specifically for preppers, uh, how to can when the power goes out, what canning supplies you should keep on hand in quantity for long-term disasters, how to save the contents of your fridge and freezer in the events of a lengthy power outage, Old-fashioned methods that don't require store-bought ingredients like pectin. Modern updates using the latest uh, food science research to make your supply as safe as possible. Uh, so it looks like a good uh, a good book to to have. I went to go check it out on Amazon. I mean, there's a lot of there's recipes and all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm actually when I'm when I'm doing this podcast while I'm doing this podcast, I'm uh, also doing a screen grab of what I'm. What I'm doing, so I'm hoping to maybe uh, upload this this video cast to YouTube, maybe on the Friday podcast. I don't know. Don't hold me to it. Uh, we'll just see how it goes. But so I'm I'm looking at her website right now and uh, all the you know things that she's saying. There's recipes, and I went to Amazon. It, the book is 10.97 um, for paperback, so it's a good deal and a lot of good information. So. Uh, if you are into canning and that's something that you uh, want to do, uh, I'm going to link to it on the show notes for episode 20, um, and it's going to, you know, it's going to link to Amazon, and of course, it's going to be an affiliate link. So if you l- click that link and you go to Amazon and you buy it, well, then I do get a little percentage of that, and that's always uh, that's always a little blessing. Uh, not a lot on books, but it's always a little blessing. It all adds up. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, this first. Uh, article comes to us from Backdoor Survival, How to Raise Meat Rabbits in Small Spaces. And uh, let's go ahead and start reading and then uh, have a little bit of commentary as we go. Whether you are planning to survive disasters or simply want to be self-sufficient and less dependent on outside resources, raising your own meat animals is a smart choice. That said, raising farm animals can be tough for those who live in urban areas, small homes or apartments, or under the rule of restrictive homeowners associations. If that sounds like you, consider raising meat rabbits. Rabbits make it possible to produce your own meat without raising an eyebrow. Why rabbits? Meat rabbits are an excellent way to supplement your family food supply. Rabbit meat is tender and mild, plus rabbit meat is one of the healthiest meat sources. Even beating chicken for low calories, high protein, and lower cholesterol levels. 
Not only that, rabbit meat is also, for low, also far lower in fat and is higher in calcium and phosphorus than other meats. Perhaps one of the better reasons for raising rabbits for meat is that they can be raised just about anywhere. If you have a garage, a basement, a porch, or a backyard, or even a small corner of the living room, you can raise meat rabbits and produce quite a bit of meat for you and your family. Sound interesting? Interesting? Here are some tips that will help you get started raising rabbits. Raising meat rabbits in small spaces. Rabbits are an excellent choice no matter where you live. Meat rabbits are easy to breed and raise. They require very little space. Best of all, since they do not fall under the typical livestock category, they are not subject to zoning laws and restrictions like other types of livestock and small farm animals. Production-wise, a small triple stack of cages kept indoors will house a trio of rabbits and can produce between 30 to 60 kits, baby rabbits, per year. Underneath each of the stacked cages is a catch pan to keep the area clean. The required space is about the same size that would be required to fit an average sized chest of drawers. Although larger areas can be created to house even more rabbits and more elaborate setups, a triple stack hutch really does quite nicely. Should rabbits be kept indoors? Yes, when there is room. Keeping your rabbits indoors makes the most sense. It is easier to provide a temperature-controlled climate year-round and allows you to maximize your breeding schedule. The cage size most appropriate for medium-sized meat rabbits, meat rabbit breeds is 24 by 30 by 56. There are other sizes available as well, but that would be a perfectly good size. It is also possible to keep rabbits outdoors in a small yard. All it takes is a few feet of space. Instead of a stack of cages, you will need hutches that have a portion enclosed for the rabbits to get out of the elements. There are a wide variety of types and styles of outdoor hutches available as either ready-made or DIY. For do-it-yourself types, you can find free building plans online. Hutches create very good accommodations for your rabbits that will keep them happy and healthy outdoors. Housing your rabbits outside will cut down on the number of litters that can be bred each year. Does, or mama rabbits, will need winters off and enough heat would not be possible to keep an, any resulting litters warm enough when first born. On the other hand, using an outdoor space may give you the ability to house a few more rabbits. This allows you to produce the same amount of meat by having extra litters during the warmer months. While you keep the adults year-round, baby rabbits are usually slaughtered at 8 to 10 weeks. The gestation period is only 28 to 31 days, so the turnaround from breeding to dress out is very short. Where to get meat rabbits? There are rabbit breeders in all states, but they can be hard to find if you've never looked for them. The American Rabbit Breeders Association is a good place to start when looking for local breeders. The listing on the ARBA site is limited, however, and many good local breeders do not pay to be listed. You can find more choices on state rabbit breeder club websites like the Illinois Rabbit Breeders Association. Some state associations even have listings for neighboring states. Other great resources are local county or state fairs. Lucky for us, all states and most counties have their own annual fairs. Most, if not all, have rabbit exhibits for both open, adults, junior, and 4-H classes. These are fantastic places to mingle with breeders from local and surrounding areas. At a fair, you will find a wide variety of breeds and will be able to familiarize with them in an up-close and personal way. Selecting your new rabbits. Once you have decided on a breed of meat rabbits and having an area set up to care for them, it's time to start looking for your own breeding pair or breeding trio. 
If you can make an appointment with a local breeder, you will get a lot of information and help on how to handle and care for your new rabbits. There are also local swap meets and livestock exhibits that may have rabbits available for sale. These can be good places to find new stock, but you are less likely to get individual attention from sellers and will be on your own in making sure your selections are healthy. One good thing with rabbits is that while they certainly can get sick or be diseased, in general they are incredibly hardy animals. When selecting your rabbits, the first thing you want to look for is clear, clean eyes and noses. The ears should also be free of any accumulation that could signal infection or mites. They should never have an offensive odor or look like they have been sitting in wet conditions. The anus should be clean and the vent should be clean and dry. Naturally, the animal's coat should be clean and unstained. These are not just aesthetic aspects. They are indicators of good care and good health. The next part of checking out your rabbits for purchase can get a little trickier because you are going to need to grasp and turn the rabbit over. If you are new to handling rabbits, it would be best to try and find a breeder who can help you so you don't harm yourself or the animal. Keep in mind that when handling a rabbit, always grasp them around the ears with thumb and forefinger on, the, on either side of the head. Do not lift them by the ears. This can be especially harmful to the heavier adult meat rabbits, but it can damage even small light rabbit ears. Grasping the ears with the remaining fingers only helps you steady the head and keep control if the rabbit gets scared and tries to get away. While holding the head, gently run your hand over the loin and down the hips. This will give you a good feel for the meat on the back of the rabbit. The animal should, be, should feel firm and rounded. While maintaining your grip on the head and the other hand on the rear, scoop the hips under and turn the rabbit over, keeping them close to the body. You should quickly move the hand under the rear of the bunny up to grasp the hind legs when dealing with skittish rabbits or those you are unfamiliar with. Those hind feet can be quite powerful. With a rabbit in this position, check the nails to see if they are overgrown. You should also use the hand not holding the rabbit's head to lift the upper lip and pull down the lower lip gently and look at the front teeth of the rabbit. They should not overlap, be buck-toothed, or be crooked and overgrown. Rabbit Care and Breeding First of all, let's start with some definitions. Female rabbits are referred to as does, males are bucks, baby rabbits are kits. Now that we have that out of the way, let's talk about caring for and breeding your rabbits. Rabbits do not have a lot of fancy requirements. You will need a food bowl and a drip water bottle similar to what is used for hamsters and gerbils in the cages. In addition, when breeding, you will need a nesting box for each doe you are breeding. The breeding process itself is amazingly simple. You take the doe out of her cage and put her in with the buck. That's it. Watch and wait. If the doe is receptive, the breeding will take place immediately and be over quickly. Do not be alarmed when the buck does a backflip off and looks like he had a stroke. That's normal and he will get up immediately. If the female runs around the cage and does not let the buck near enough to mount, remove her and try again in a day or two. Never under any circumstances take the buck to the doe's cage. The does are extremely territorial and will attack the buck even if they are ready to breed. When put in the buck's cage, they will not be as aggressive. Also, it is a good idea not to leave the pair alone. If she is not ready to breed, she may fight off his advances if you don't take her out of the cage. Bucks are persistent and do not take no for an answer. Well, once you witness a coupling, remove the doe and place her back in the cage. That's all there is to it. In 28 to 31 days, you will likely have babies. While there are times when the breeding isn't successful, they don't say breeding like rabbits for nothing. They are very prolific. One to two weeks before the doe is due, place a clean nesting box in the cage with her. Place some straw inside so she can make a nest. 
A few days before she delivers, she will also pull out fur to add to the nest. If your cages are in a garage or other unheated area and you are breeding during the winter, a heat lamp placed above the cage will help keep the area warm enough. Rabbits can be weaned as soon as they are eating solid food at about four weeks. Some breeders prefer to place those kits and grow pens to go on to slaughter age at 8 to 10 weeks so they can get the mother back in condition to breed again quickly. If space for a grow out cage is at a premium, however, keep the babies with their mother the full 8 to 10 weeks is fine. Dressing out meat rabbits. Rabbits are one of the easiest and most pleasant animals to butcher. If you have ever slaughtered chickens, sheep, or goats, you will find that rabbits take far less time and space. They are great for people who have never dressed out their own meat animals before because the learning curve is very modest. Here are the things you will need for butchering. A gramble, a sharp knife, a 10 gallon or larger bucket, a clean table. A gambrel is basically a set of hooks that holds the animals up by the hind legs so you can access it easily. You will need it to hang the carcass on while dressing it out. These are available pre-made but they are simple, simple to construct on your own as well. A sturdy stick, some rope, and a couple of S-hooks will do the trick. You will also need a sharp knife. Fish fillet knives work well. Even a small paring knife can do the job if it is sharp enough. Place a bucket directly underneath a gambrel so that it will catch the blood and offal. Offal is the term used for the non-edible parts of the inside of a meat animal. Here are the steps needed to butcher a meat rabbit. To slaughter the rabbit, grasp the hind legs firmly and place the upper body of the rabbit's body on a firm sur surface. With a hammer or your hand, if you are strong enough, hit the rabbit directly behind the ears or the back of the neck. This will knock them out. Using the sharp knife, slit the throat and cut through the neck. Allow the carcass to bleed out in the bucket for a few minutes and then make a small incision between the bones and tendons of the rear legs and the, at the hock or knee joint. Hang one leg from the incision on one of the gambrel hooks. From the incision on each rear leg, insert the knife tip between the meat and the skin. Slice down toward the groin. Repeat with the opposite rear leg. Cut off the tail of the rabbit and connect the slices in the pelt of the rear legs. Cut off the front feet at the knee joint. This is easily done with a quick stroke of the knife. Peel the pelt off of the legs, then grasp it firmly once it is at the body and pull downwards until it is free from the front legs. It will come off in one solid tube of skin and fur. Put the pelt aside if you are going to keep it for tanning later. Gently insert the tip of the knife into the belly at the groin. Be careful not to cut too deep. You just want to cut the thin skin. Slice down toward the breast until you get to the rib cage. With the thumb and forefinger, grasp the anus end of the intestine and pinch it at close to the anal opening as possible to avoid any fecal matter from escaping. Pull down to release it and let all of the intestines and organs fall forward out of the opening. Remove the liver, heart, and kidneys if you want to keep them and place them in a clean dish. Rabbit livers are delicious. They are similar in size and texture to chicken livers but are a little more tender. Dump all of the offal into a car garbage bag and tie it up securely. Rinse the remaining carcass under cool water. Cut up or bag whole for later use. Place in the refrigerator for a day if you are going to freeze the resulting meat or use immediately. If you are not going to use the meat immediately, do not use it for at least 24 hours so it has time to go through rigor mortis. Once 24 hours in the refrigerator is passed, freeze or use the meat. Okay, so um, just a little bit here. Um, I do, I do suggest uh, a couple of things. The hitting it on the back of the head, I, I do know that there are people that, that do that. 
Um, you might, you know, if you miss and you don't hit right or things don't work out, you might find that that really might put you off. So there's a couple of things here. Um, the Smiling Gardener, I haven't seen him, can't remember his name, um, his, his real name. I want to say it starts with a J. Um, he had a video not too long ago when, when he, where he does this. And basically what he did, you know, the small little bats that you're able to buy, um, just kind of like um, souvenirs. Um, he puts it on the, well, no, I think this was a real bat, I'm sorry. Puts it on the, on the back of the neck on the, on the ground and he just slightly pulled up on, on the hind legs. And what that does is that breaks the neck and it, it uh, severs the, the, the neck and the, the, sp the cervical whatever whatever that is i'm sorry i can't remember that term but it it's it severs that and the uh the rabbit instantly dies so that's one way to do it another way is to get a rabbit ringer and uh seeing these that it, it's it's really easy you put the rabbit's head in there and then you pull down and it just it, it does the same kind of thing and so you might find that that works uh, works just as, actually easier, and maybe you might feel it's a little bit more humane than than hitting it on the back of the head. Um, also, you can shoot it with a BB gun. I've done I've uh, linked to videos on Prepper website where people go through the rabbit processing. Um, uh, you know, go through rabbit processing actually, and uh, they use a BB gun just to the you know to the back of the head, and it, it just happens really quick. And so that you, you can do it that way as well. If you do it that way, the rabbit is going to you're going to see it flounder a little bit, uh, and and those kinds of things. But um, the ringer in like I said, the, the using that bat, um, I mean that's like an instant kill. So if that's something that you're interested in, and I do think that rabbits are. Um, you know, definitely something that everyone should should consider. Um, if you're going to do that, you want to invest in something like that. All right. So continuing on, uh, using rabbit meat. Rabbit meat is tender, mild meat. It can be used in almost any recipe, replacing other types of meat. However, because it is such a mild meat, it is best in recipes normally containing chicken or in rabbit-specific recipes. You will find that all young rabbits are excellent, simply barbecued, fried, stewed, or baked. Older rabbits can also be used for meat once they are no longer up to breeding. If you butcher an older animal, replace it with a rabbit from a resulting litter or purchase another outside breeding animal. Prepare the older rabbit for eating the same as you would a young rabbit. There are pros and cons to consuming older rabbit meat. The animals are usually twice the size of the usual slaughter age rabbits, so they produce twice as much meat. On the other hand, the meat is usually a little tougher. Many consider older rabbits suitable only for stews or ground meat. That said, many find that even older rabbits taste fine in any of the ways younger rabbit meat is prepared for the dinner table. Final word. No matter how big or small your rabbit breeding operation, these little livestock animals offer the most bang for the buck. In addition, they are pleasant to have around. Word of caution. It is a good idea not to allow family members of any age to make pets out of your meat rabbits. There are also, this also applies to your breeding rabbits, since they too may end up on the dinner table at some point in time. That said, for me personally, it would be difficult not to name them. Many of my friends name their chickens that ultimately end up as Sunday dinner. Finally, in closing, I would like to thank my colleague Tammy P., you know who you are, who raises meat rabbits and has provided valuable insight into this article. All right, so um, good stuff there. Uh, it reminded me of an article 
um, actually a free PDF that uh, I offered on my website, uh, Ed That Matters, and it was um, it was produced by uh, Waco Preppers. They had a meetup group, and uh, I had a link to Waco Pre- the Waco's Prepper uh, meetup group, but it, I guess it's no longer around. So if you're listening to this and you're part of Waco Preppers uh, and y'all are still around, you know, let me know so I can update my my link. But uh, had a, a free rabbit processing uh, PDF that you could download, and it downloads into a, uh, a PDF from from Dropbox. I've got it hosted at Dropbox, and so it kind of walks you through the steps if you're wanting to wanting to have that. And um, so there you go. If you, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, but you want to go to to Gay's site, Backdoor Survival. She has links there that you'll want to uh, connect to um, building plans and, and different things like that. It does, um, you know, rabbits do, uh, the, I mean, you can use so much of the rabbit, even the, the, the poop, you can use that immediately. That can go straight into your garden. Uh, it's not hot like everything else. It doesn't have to break down. And they do create a lot. So when I read that, maybe you could have them on the inside, like in your living room, like yeah, you're gonna like you would really have to take care, and you're cleaning, you're cleaning out, you know, the, those cages all the time because they go for it. You know, my father-in-law tells us stories of, of um, you know, back when my wife was young, they had rabbits, and what they would do is they would move that hutch around all over the yard, and and uh, so it wouldn't stay in one place for too long. And of course, everywhere that you know it would go, that the grass, as soon as it started coming up, would just be so much greener and you know that that uh, the rabbit poop just uh, did some great it was great fertilizer for it so if you have that that's definitely something that you can you can use uh, in, in your garden and so you'll you'll be gardening all right so we're moving along uh, on Fridays I tried to pull uh, an article from the archive and so as, as I was looking at this rabbit and talking about rabbits and I started thinking about livestock so I, I searched the uh, the tag cloud on Prepper website and found one from Survival Blog. This is uh, from 2013, October 2013, and uh, it's it's called "Hiding Livestock from Looters." And it was a letter uh, that someone wrote to uh, James Wesley Rawls, and he replies. So let me go ahead and read this one, sir. Forgive me if this has been addressed, but what do you think is the best way to hide livestock from looters if, when the SHTF? It is no secret that we have animals. Our property is such that the only clearing for pastures are near our house, which is in plain sight of our quiet country road. From the street, you can see our house, a coop, a pen, an old tin barn, an outbuilding, a goat pasture, free-ranging chickens and turkeys, etc. We read that a privacy fence up front at the street would be a bad idea as people can peep through the cracks while the fence obstructs the view from the inside. Just locking our animals in coops, barns at nights or around the clock wouldn't leave much of a mystery. I haven't been able to find much info on the web about this topic. One person was considering a hole in the ground to keep chickens out of view, but comments didn't support this idea. Another suggested bringing animals into your house. Since half of our property is wooded, we were considering building a hiding place there for our animals and some supplies, perhaps with a few movable pens to allow forage. Would it be wiser to hide in the woods with the animals or stay put at the house and guard the perimeter? Thanks for your advice. JWR replies, There is essentially no foolproof way to conceal your livestock from looters and rustlers. 
I'll begin with a bit of family history. In my late, in my late wife's family, there is an oft-repeated story of hiding their horses from requisitioning by the Union Army during Civil War. They then lived in Ohio, well inside Union territory. Whenever Union troops would pass through town, they would hide their horses in their timbered back 20, which was their woodlot. This ruse worked up until 1864 when a Union cavalry unit passed through. One of the sergeants inspected the family's barn, and the distinctive sight of horse manure alongside the cow manure was unmistakable. They were compensated just $10 per horse, including the father's prized saddle horse that was worth at least 10 times that sum. There are a few things that you can do. Number one, keep your livestock quiet. Keep only cows and hens, no bulls, no peacocks, and no roosters. Number two, position your livestock and poultry sheds behind foliage and behind buildings so that they cannot be seen from any public roads. Number three, keep your neighbors well supplied with eggs, milk, meat, and butter, partly in exchange for them keeping mum about the existence of your livestock. Number four, organize a neighborhood watch on steroids. Number five, Having both a watchdog and a reliable intrusion detection system, such as a Dakota alert, will be essential. The Chinese-made driveway alarms are unreliable junk and should be avoided. Number six, recognize that if your stealth and camouflage measures fail, then it will probably come down to force or the perception of the willingness to use force that will deter looters. All right, so that's a short article, but something to think about uh, when you have... Uh, when when you have livestock, and then also when you're when you're gardening, you know when you're gardening, and you have people know that you're gardening, and you have that out there, and it's visible. You know, if you're not on one of the side roads of the side roads of the side roads, uh, or back roads of the back roads of the back roads, um, you know, people eventually are going to find you and and get to you. So uh, I like the idea of you know your neighbors making sure your neighbors you're all uh, you know on one page and you're providing you know for them because then they're vested in what you're providing for them and you know they're they want to make sure that they're going to help you out because you've been helping them out all right so we will i'll link to that one as well uh, like i link to all the other ones so that's survival blog all right our next article or our last article for the for the day comes to us from preparedness advice and this is actually written by um by Survival Common Sense. So Leon over at Survival Common Sense uh, wrote the article and and provided it to Preparedness Advice. And uh, so we link to both of these. And, um, you know, Leon always has a lot of great information. And this article is entitled Nine Reasons Why a Garbage Bag is the Best Emergency Shelter. And so let's go ahead. It's a short article, but it's a good one. Okay, maybe a, a black trash bag isn't the best possible emergency shelter. But a few bags kept in the trunk of your car or in a bug out bag could save your life and here's why. These trash bags are inexpensive, waterproof, lightweight, takes up little space, do not need special skills or tools to utilize as a shelter, takes a minute to set up, no skill required, can be used by any age, level of fitness, etc. Versatile, use a bright color of bag to be found or camouflage with black or brown. I'm not sure how the early settlers along the Oregon Trail or the western frontier got along without duct tape, WD-40, or trash bags, but life surely would have been easier with them. Trash bags in particular are included in all my survival kits. 
They have a multitude of uses, including be, being containers for picking up trash. But in an emergency, when correctly used, trash bags can pr prove a quick, temporary shelter from the elements. I first noticed the trash bag shelter use at wintertime football games years ago. The weather got really bad during the last half with snow, rain, and wind, but one row of diehard fans pulled out a row a roll of plastic trash bags, cut holes for their heads and arms, and weathered the storm. I didn't recall how the football team did. Since then, I have taken shelter in trash bags on a variety of outdoor activities. Trash bags are particularly valuable on hunting trips because a large bag gives you a place to lay meat while you're butchering in addition to being an improvised shelter if needed. Obviously, if you anticipated bad weather, be prepared for it. Stay home or take along with you a lightweight four-season backpacking tent. But come on, how many of you are going to lug around a tent on every outing? Most of us will carry it a time or two, and eventually the tent will end up getting left at the trailhead. Then, one day late in the afternoon, you'll realize you're lost or in a survival situation and will have to build some sort of shelter before it gets dark. Reality shows... To the contrary, you probably won't be able to build a shelter out of natural materials, says survival expert Peter Kumfeld. I believe, this is quote, I believe it is impossible for the survivor to build a waterproof, windproof shelter from natural materials, Peter writes, in surviving a wilderness emergency. Shelters made from, a natural, from natural materials require time, natural resources, a cutting tool, and a fully functional survivor who has practiced building emergency shelters in the past. The survivor needs a waterproof, windproof shelter now. Large, end quote, large heavy-grade 3 or 4 mil 55-gallon drum liners can make a good short-term shelter, but don't just crawl in and hunker down. Like any survival technique, you need to prepare and practice to use this shelter. Totally encamp encapsulating yourself inside a plastic bag is not a good idea, Peter advises. Let's quote. Uh, Apart from the need for oxygen, the water vapor in the air you excel and your perspiration will condense on the inner surfaces and you will get quite wet. End quote. To avoid this problem, cut an opening in the closed end of the bag with your survival knife or the scissors on your multi-tool, just large enough to allow you to pass your head through. The bag is then passed over your head until your face aligns with the holes and the moist air is exhaled outside. To make the hole, Peter advises cutting the plastic at a 90 degree angle alongside a seam about 5 inches below one corner. The hole should be just big enough to pass your head through when you are getting too warm. The shelter technique works very well and the Boy Scout troop I work with will keep a roll of 45 gallon plastic bags from one of the local tire stores. Each scout takes one on hikes or campouts. In any case, they need to impor in in, ca in case they need to improvise a shelter, rain poncho, or pack cover. The smaller bags are just the right size to cover the little guys from head to toe. Since they're lightweight, it would be a very easy matter to tuck one inside your kid's backpack, a school pack, or otherwise. Be sure they know how to utilize the bag in an emergency. Trash bags for shelters are easy to come by. Your local hardware store will probably have contractor grade 45 and 55 gallon bags. You can also look in the storage area. I found 55 gallon 3 mil bright yellow bags designed to cover furniture for long term storage that will work quite well as shelters. Color is another consideration. I prefer blaze orange or bright yellow to help rescuers find me, but if you want to avoid being found, just get the standard black color. Get in the shade of a tree under a black bag and you will be pretty well camouflaged. 
A large white bag also in the shade of a tree will allow you to blend in well with snow. I carry several tire bags along with an orange 55 gallon heavy duty bag as part of my survival kit and my hunting gear. My orange bag already has a head hole cut. In a pinch, per Peter's advice, I'll stick my feet in a smaller bag, pull it up around my waist, and pull the orange bag down over me. In the wilderness, a sudden rain or snowstorm can happen in an instant, and this saves time so I don't end up getting drenched while digging around for my trash bag, knife, and then preparing the shelter. Also, as recommended by Peter, I always carry a piece of insulate foam from si for sitting upon. The plastic bag provides no insulation, and the cold ground will suck the heat right out of you. The padded warm seat will make waiting to be found much more comfortable. And I, there is a sentence I think that's missing here. I'll continue on. Obviously, an emergency shelter is just that. It is designed to be used in an emergency, and nobody ever claimed that a trash bag shelter is the best choice under any and all circumstances. But a trash bag is lightweight, will give you a waterproof shelter from nasty weather, and is compact and light enough to be taken anywhere. Remember this, this thought when you're putting together a survival kit, bug out bag, or set of wilderness or urban survival tools. No piece of survival equipment is worth anything if you don't have it with you. All right, great advice. Uh, I do have those big 55-gallon contractor bags in, in our bug-out bags. I, I believe you should have multiple boxes of those. I mean, you can get them at Walmart now uh, in, the, in the regular you know, trash can, uh, trash bag aisle. And um, you get the really, there's, there's some that are really thick. And, you know, I use them outside when, we, when people come over and we throw our trash in there and all that kind of stuff. But you should just have, you can use them for so many different things. So you should have a couple of them, you know, in your vehicle. You should have them in your bug out bags. You should have them in your survival kits. They're, they're just good to have and it's for so many different uses. So uh, that is something that I do suggest that you should go buy a couple of those boxes or a couple of those rolls. You definitely, you can get them at Home Depot as well, those contractor size bags. All right, guys. Well, um, that's it for episode 20. Uh, again, I, I can't believe it's it's already Friday and, and at episode 20. It's, it's crazy I, when I sit down and really think about that. But uh, I appreciate everyone's... Um, all the, the shout-outs and all the, the support that we're getting. Uh, like I said, True Prepper, and go check them out. We're, you know, all the links that we're linking to them all on, ep on the episode 20, you can go get to them. And, and uh, you know, Daisy's uh, book, you can go check that out. But if you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a line. You can uh, leave a comment in the show notes, or you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, uh, you know, that'll be, that'll be it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week, um, Monday, putting out another, another podcast. If you are looking for more preparedness information, don't forget, you know, this weekend, don't forget to hit up Prepper website. We're always posting good information out there, but, uh, all right, man, that's it. And so guys, until next week, stay prepped and aware.